You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we talk to music seismologists, audio cosmologists, and sonic technologists, where we explore the shifts that are changing everything in music, whether we hate them or not. <laughs> I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music tech. Are you ready? Three, two, one, blast off. Today, uh, one of our first episodes of the year, we've got Damian Manning from Hi-Fi. He's the founder and CEO calling in from Brooklyn. How you doing, Damian? Good. How are you? I do great. Um, I should make a clarification right at the start because we've had a company called Super Hi-Fi on the podcast. This is not the same company. You're Hi-Fi. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, we are Hi-Fi. And, and let's dig in right out of the gate. Um, in case folks haven't heard about you, what is Hi-Fi? Sure. So Super Hi-Fi is doing great things in the uh, in the realm of AI um, generated, you know, audio and playlisting. Uh, Hi-Fi in uh, Brooklyn, New York, is a bit of a different beast. So you know, we are trying to help artists achieve financial independence in the market. Uh, artists, uh, singers, musicians, songwriters, producers, artist managers, really any music professional in the industry. Uh, and we really, you know, examining the market for some time, recognize that uh, artists are always trying to get a handle on their finances. The music industry makes it really difficult for rights holders to understand how they get paid, uh, when they get paid, are they getting paid the correct amount? Uh, for example, artists get paid from, you know, a dozen or more different sources of royalty income over the course of a year, uh, you know, in many cases. So wrapping your arms around that as a musician, as a rights holder is, is quite difficult. Uh, and so for the most part, artists tend to bury their heads in the sand, uh, really hope for the best. And the result of that is they focus on the creativity, which is, which is key uh, as an artist who's creating you know, music um, you know, for the world. But um, they leave the finances to other people to tackle on their behalf. Uh, or no one to tackle at all. And as a result, they find themselves in you know, pretty difficult spots, uh, not able to pay their bills, uh, not able to make smart decisions for themselves. And we, we looked at this sort of set of challenges and, and recognized that in music, there's been so much innovation over the course of the last you know, few decades, uh, whether it's streaming or you know, distribution, music creation, marketing, but there's really been little to no innovation in the realm of artist finances and business management. Uh, and so as a, uh, a technologist who's been operating the music space for some time, you know, we thought, well, we could do better. We could build software to solve these problems on behalf of artists and rights holders. And that, that's really the, the entire like, objective of HiFi. Our goal is to, to build those solutions and offer um, everything from education and evangelism to technology and you know, a mobile app um, for you as an artist, a business manager, uh, an artist manager to really help everyone understand how that artist is earning money and, and how to make better business decisions. So how do you go about doing that with HiFi? Yeah, so a big part of that starts with education. Uh, you know, as I alluded to, there are so many artists and rights holders out there in the music industry just don't know what they should be earning. Uh, you know, we see artists who are just starting out uh, digitally uploading music through a DistroKid or similar uh, distribution service to a, a streaming service like Spotify, getting playlisted. There's some money coming in through uh, DistroKid, but they're not registered with SoundExchange. Uh, they don't really know what SoundExchange is, right? Uh, they don't know that they're a songwriter. They haven't registered their copyright. They don't have a PRO. They don't have a pub admin deal with a song trust or somebody of that ilk in the market, right? Um, so even at that very early stage, artists that are emerging and breaking through the market, there's so much knowledge that they just don't have, they don't have access to. And they don't trust a lot of the content out there online because so much of it comes from services that are trying to upsell you some you know, value-added service or some additional collection service um, you know, as a recording artist or as a, a songwriter. And so we produce our own materials that we offer 
our members at HiFi, we do regular webcasts and uh, webinars where we bring in experts from different parts of the market, from different services to help explain uh, how royalties work, where you should be registered, you know, what sound exchange does, you know, from experts at sound exchange, talking to those artists, right, directly on a regular basis. So trying to fill in that information gap is certainly where it all starts. Uh, and then even, you know, the more successful artists that are registered in the right places uh, often aren't getting paid the correct amounts. They're not auditing their finances on a regular basis. Um, they, even if they have a business management firm and they're earning, you know, substantial income in the millions of dollars a year, there are details that fall through the cracks because even the most sophisticated business managers are doing basic royalty accounting. Their real expertise tends to revolve around, uh, you know, income tax uh, and tour uh, budgeting and management. Uh, whereas the royalty piece seems to be this black box in many cases. And we've been building technology that is able to automatically, like a mint.com does for the consumer market, connect into all the different services that pay artists over the course of a year, download those statements, process them, analyze them on the back end on a regular basis automatically, and then make heads or tails of that data in a single dashboard with all that income data consolidated and coalesced so that an artist, a manager, a business manager even can better understand on a detail level or a high level aggregate how that artist is earning money, in which markets, what type of royalties, you know, do the numbers add up, is something missing, should they look closely or call up their publisher if there's a problem. Uh, and so that technology that automates the actual management and processing of the royalties is sort of like the key ultimate step uh, and the real breakthrough that HiFi delivers to the market. So it's not just, I mean, the first part of the description as an education service makes it almost sound like it's it's an online um, um, webinar school series type thing. But you're saying that's part of it. The other part of it is connecting up this dashboard and then getting insights from all the data that's coming in and the automation around kind of raising red flags of questions they should ask. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a step back for a second. So, you know, HiFi, we are a membership services organization, right? And, and that's very deliberate of, our, of, of us. So you know, rather than just being a technology company that's offering up software for artists to download onto their phone and, you know, good luck to you, right? We realized that the software and the technology just wasn't enough to, uh, to fill the gaps and solve the problems in the market, that so much of it required uh, education as well. Um, again, for all sort of sides of the market. And so as a result, we realized, you know, looking at what PROs have successfully done in the U.S. market, for example, um, by servicing, you know, members and treating their artists like members of an organization, that if we took a similar approach, we could really um, support artists from the very beginning to their most successful stages of their career, right? And whether you were all on your own trying to do this, you know, in your apartment or you had a team around you and a company um, that was servicing you, right, and all your royalties and rights. And so as a result, you know, we allow anybody with um, music uh, royalties that are earning money from those royalties in the industry to sign up and apply for access to HiFi as a member, uh, we vet those applications and then we accept the members that you know we feel like we can service at this stage. Uh, and those members have access to the educational content, the online community, um, connecting with other members that are like-minded or looking to collaborate, and then also uh, the technologies that we're developing as a company. And soon the financial products that we're going to be building on top of those technologies and rolling out, which we've been doing at a sort of a beta phase now, but you know, in the near future, we'll be soon, soon be rolling out at scale. What's the business model? We don't charge for membership. We don't charge for the, um, the dashboard that processes your royalties. Um, that's a position that, you know, is a firm position we took very early on in this belief that uh, the data really belongs to the artists. Uh, we're building technology to help artists understand their data. Uh, we're not looking to profit 
off of that data itself. And likewise with the actual educational content, right? Um, there's knowledge out there that, you know, many of us have in the market that should belong to everyone. Uh, and it's our job to make it available and accessible to our members at no cost. We make money by upselling financial products to artists that are interested in them. Uh, and those financial products are underwritten by the data we're collecting on their behalf. So for example, uh, our, our first financial product that we're testing now and we'll be rolling out widely this year is called Cashflow. Uh, one thing we've heard from our members is that now that they better understand their finances and the flow of income, they want to know how to turn that into a regular payment that they can depend on and not have to worry about those gaps of months where there's no income coming in, right? Uh, the word mm -hmm. we heard from many of our members was salary. You know, why can't I get a salary? Why do I have to trade off the, the sort of, you know, dependent, like um, this idea of a salary in order to pursue my talent or my, you know, interest in music. And we thought a lot about that. And, and we developed a whole proprietary underwriting algorithm that, again, leverages the unique, uh, you know, holistic view of data that we're collecting around the income streams of the artist underwrites a salary for them where we can guarantee we'll pay that artist a certain amount of money every two weeks, rain or shine. Uh, and we take the risk on the difference essentially. So if we guarantee a certain amount and they don't earn that much, then you know that's on us. We absorb the risk of the money that's not earned. We pay that out of our pocket um, and then recoup that over time against the royalties as they flow in artists that we're beta testing that with now, you know, see that as a bit of a revelation that now they can sort of uh, depend on a certain amount of money that's going to come in on an ongoing basis. They can sign a lease, they can, uh, you know, pay their bills, they can invest in gear, they can invest in recording and promoting themselves without having to worry that they're going to, you know, run up their credit cards or when the next check's going to come. Um, to pay down their debt, borrow money from family, or take an advance that, you know, maybe is a really bad deal for them because they're paying exorbitant service fees. And so for those type of products, you know, we're able to engineer a very accessible uh, service fee. Uh, and in the case of cash flow, we're charging 2% of what the artist is earning uh, versus a, uh, you know, a payday loan style advanced product, which we like to, you know, refer to as a break glass of in case, in case of emergency type of option. And there are many of them out there. And that doesn't mean they're not the right option for certain artists in the market that need that kind of capital all at once. But there's certainly, you know, a number of artists out there that don't need to make that kind of trade off that don't want to give up their rights in perpetuity or for an extended period are just looking for access to a regular payment. Uh, and that's why, you know, we've put cash flow together and it's those type of products that, you know, we monetize um, by charging a fee to service. And again, it's made possible and those fees are so accessible because we have this, uh, you know, this great detail of data that's flowing through us that other lenders or, you know, companies in the market providing financial products perhaps don't have available to them. People are loaning money to other types of people, not necessarily artists, but there's no constant incoming and diversified revenue stream data that they can count on. So you're saying you can offer kind of a lower interest rate basically uh, because you have access to all that data. Yeah. And it, and it, it's to be clear, like it's not an interest rate because it's not a loan uh, and there's no recourse, you know, in the, in the case of a, a cash flow product, for example. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, because we have this vast amount of detailed data coming in about the historical earnings of a given artist, uh, and we're able to forecast out using our proprietary you know, underwriting techniques, what that artist is going to earn based on all that historical earnings, based on what's in the pipeline, you know, based in the data that we're seeing from, from the streaming services, we can very comfortably forecast a certain baseline income that that artist is going to see over the next 12 months. And then we guarantee that money over that period of time. And, you know, just likewise, if we uh, guarantee more than the artist is actually earning, you know, and we're absorbing that risk. If the artist is earning more than we guarantee, we pass that through like bonus money to the artist. So, you know, we tried to create that product. So it was very friendly to the market. There was very little risk for the artist. They can even cancel at any time without any penalty. Uh, we just have to wait for one, the next payment cycle to complete 
to be able to release them from the agreement. And if you get signed or upstream to a record label or a publishing deal, uh, an advance doesn't flow through the product. So you keep your advance without penalty yourself. Uh, and and th these are the type of products that we're really trying to ideate and you know brainstorm. Uh, there's a lot you can do when you have that core, you know, trustworthy data set that's coming into the system, which again, most lenders, banks, you know, other folks that do, um, you know, play in the, the sort of music industry don't have the benefit of. And so they end up having to take a lot more risk. So in a way, are you flipping the, the, the record label compensation model upside down? Because the label is sort of saying, I'm going to take a risk on your future product, how your, how your recordings do in the future. And in a way, you're saying, well, I'm going to take a risk based on your existing catalog and we can already see the data flow so we know kind of what to, what to expect in the future on past catalog. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, record label deals make sense for certain artists. And, you know, we talk to ourselves at Hi-Fi all the time and say, what if we're successful? What does success mean for Hi-Fi? And ultimately, you know, our goal is helping artists achieve financial independence and finding ways to accomplish that goal. But in the meantime, giving artists more options to choose from is a great goal to have. And, whether if it means that an artist doesn't have to sign a label deal because a hi-fi cash flow product is a better fit for them because they have a catalog that is historically you know earning enough money for them to pay their bills uh, yeah we'll love to offer that option to an artist uh, and and put them in a better position to be successful and not be indebted to a record label but giving artists those options to choose from is certainly better than having no options at all or only the record label, right? That said, I think in general, there are certainly trends that everyone recognizes. Record label deals are changing. Publishing deals are changing in the market. Uh, you know, more record labels are open to the, the idea of servicing artists in an artist services, you know, uh, buffet almost style arrangement, agency style arrangement. Uh, you know, some of the major labels call them labels as a service last type of model. In that world, artists are investing less, you know, fewer or no dollars at all in the artist. The artists are finding ways to fund their own needs and the labels are providing radio promo, uh, recording, you know, marketing, other services that they specialize in for certain markets perhaps, and taking a much smaller piece on the back end or getting paid an agency fee on a regular basis. And so in that world, artists need alternative sources of funding so that they can leverage labels for what they're good at and not, you know, just hand hand hand, hand off the farm essentially, you know, to the right. record label and let them control everything. Right. So let's just get into a little more detail on both the dashboard and on cash flow and then um, we'll widen out some more. Tell us more about the royalties dashboard in terms of how it works. So the so the artist. Well, actually, first you said you only accept certain artists. What are the types of criteria? If somebody's listening, and like, oh, I should tell an artist I know about this. Um, what what kind of artist? What are the criteria that you guys are considering? Yeah, to start with, we realized we want to help everybody, of course. You know, and it's hard to do that. You know, as you're starting out, you know, we're we're startup um, as well. So we only have so many people on the team. There's only so much we could do at one time. That said, we found that Hi-Fi today is most effective for artists that are earning royalties from multiple sources. So if you are uh, you know, earning money from uh, a distribution uh, arrangement you have with DistroKid and the streaming services, and you are registered with SoundExchange, uh, or you do have a PRO, for example, or you're using two or more distributors to upload your content. So anywhere you have money coming in for music royalties from multiple places, that's where Hi-Fi can immediately add value. And so those are the artists we tend to accept out of the gate, no matter whether you're earning hundreds of dollars a year or millions of dollars a year. Like we can help you with our technologies. And, and is more than one source, two, multiple source being two or more than two? It could be two. Um, yeah, we okay. do have members who are earning from just two sources. But again, the okay. point is, if you just, for example, upload music through a distributor and you use that distributor dashboard to uh, you know, monitor your income. There's not right, really much hi-fi can do. Exactly. It's redundant at that point. We can help connect dots for you, encourage you to connect into other services. But at that point, you know, if you haven't already done that, we can't really do much. 
right? And if so let's say something doesn't look right, maybe you've got your maybe you've got two distributor revenue streams coming in, and you've got you mentioned like um, like a song trust, publishing administration, PRO. Um, let's say you have all four of those things: a distributor, two sound exchange, PRO, maybe a song administration. Uh, what kinds of things does the dashboard now today able to tell the artist in terms of red flags? Can, can it can it look at like, oh, you've got this much streaming revenue, but for some reason you have no publishing revenue. That something's not right there. Yeah, I think, you know, taking again, taking a step back, the first thing that we're able to do from a dashboard standpoint, uh, which seems so uh, basic, right? And I think, you know, folks outside of the industry are always surprised that this is something that hasn't been addressed till this point is that you can actually see all those income streams in a single dashboard, right? right. So it's amazing that in music, you have to connect into all these disparate dashboards to try to get a handle on what your income is and where the money's coming from. And you know, if you ask your average artist, even the most sophisticated of artists, you know, hey, do you log into those dashboards on a regular basis and build your own spreadsheet that reconciles all those streams into a single place? No, that's not happening. And if you ask an artist, again, earning even six figures, seven figures a year, how much did you earn last year in royalties? Most artists can't even tell you because they're not paying that close attention. They're not logging into those different dashboards. So immediately, um, you know, there is this whole wow moment that we get from artists, uh, artist managers, you know, their, their team, when they log into HiFi, connect those accounts and see those various income streams in a single place. And we can line up what they earned in the month of September across uh, the different royalty streams, across the different services, across the territories, across the assets, right? Which tracks, right? Um, you can even start to build a bit of a PL almost and understand, well, what did I invest in, you know, this content? What did I invest in this track or this EP, this album? Uh, what did I earn from it, right? How much did I spend it in marketing? So we can really answer questions that any small business would be able to answer in almost any other market using QuickBooks or the like. But in music, it's nearly impossible to do so without having all that data in a single place. So that, that's like table stakes for business management and music. And that's something that the Hi-Fi Royalties Dashboard does right now. And it does it on your phone. So it's available as a mobile app on iOS and Android. And we're building out the web version of, of the dashboard now as well. Gotcha. And so I, I guess the other the other kind of like red flag type services, alarms, notifications stuff will be down the road on the roadmap. Yeah. I mean, we're doing some of that on a basic level today. There's a lot that the system is aware of and can do. We're just prioritizing what features that we're exposing in the product based on what artists are saying they want most. Right. right. Uh, and so, for example, one thing that's about to launch officially that we're beta testing is the sub account functionality. So some of the more sophisticated artists and management teams and certainly business managers will have group logins where they'll have a login to sound exchange, for example, that actually has, you know, many artists rolled up under a single account. And in that case, they're going to want to connect accounts and make those accounts available to all the artists on their roster. But they can't do that because it's one sound exchange account for everybody. They don't want every artist seeing what all the other artists on the roster are earning, for example, right? So right. we have the ability to parse all that out and separate those into separate accounts um, where there are separate dashboards for each of those artists. And so we right. can do that for a sound exchange. We can do that for the PROs. We can do that for the publishers, um, you know, for the distributors where that's an issue. And so that's a really highly requested um, you know, piece of functionality that's rolling out for some of the more sophisticated members of HiFi. And so we, right. we've been servicing artists and their teams based on the needs, uh, really starting prioritizing with how much, how much money, how much income is at stake, right? Like how much is it worth? Like what, you know, how big is this problem for the members that are having those problems? And then, uh, you know, ultimately things like desktop audits, the type of things that you're alluding to, which is, hey, am I earning the right amount of money for my publishing relative to the money I'm earning from um, my recorded music, uh, from my PRO? Those are things the system knows, and it's just a matter of how we're actually alerting artists and our members to those issues. And really, uh, not just alerting them, but actually informing them of what they could do about it and what are the right mm -hmm. steps to take. 
we don't want to set off alarms with all the different services out there, right? We're not an auditing service trying to create problems in the market, but there are genuine uh, issues that, you know, all the different services in the market run into, some of it pipeline related, some of it well beyond their control. Uh, the music services like the DSPs like Spotify and Apple are often slow to report or missing data that they catch up on, you know, at some point in the future. So helping artists understand when that's happening and communicate in a very, uh, you know, um, concise way that doesn't, you know, get them all worried um, that things are under control is important because that's not really happening on a regular basis today. And it's a problem because artists need to know what's going on. Yeah, gotcha. And and in terms of the cash flow thing, you said that's in beta. Are you able to talk about just how far along you are with that? How many artists, what kind of money's getting paid, all that kind of stuff? We're keeping those kind of details quiet for now, but we have, I would say, you know, there's a long list of artists that have opted in to the service that we'll be rolling uh, the service out to, you know, in the coming months. We're testing it now with artists that fit different kinds of roles in the market to make sure it's working for, you know, uh, folks who, again, produce, who write, who record um, and manage, uh, you know, as well. Uh, and so once we make sure that everything is working the way we expect and our algorithms are functioning, again, the way we expect them to, uh, we'll be opening up to a much larger market. What's the rough time frame on, on when you think that'll happen? In the coming months. It'll happen in Q1 of this year. Oh, cool. That's coming fast. Let's take a quick break and then we'll continue this awesome conversation. I love meeting Music Tectonics listeners at our events, and I want to make more opportunities for you to meet and support each other, virtually at least. That's why we're launching Together Tuesdays, a virtual meetup in the Music Tectonics community app. Every Tuesday, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK, I'll kick things off with a text post in the community forum, and I hope you'll join in the discussions whenever you can on Tuesdays. Post your questions and answer other members, and every month we will feature our favorites on this podcast. Look for the hashtag TogetherTuesday and use it in your posts and comments to help us find your posts. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join the app at the end of this episode. Now back to the show. So, so much of what you're doing seems related to some of the seismic shifts we talk about a lot on Music Tectonics. Um, The first one I think of is one we call self-driving artists change everything. They're not necessarily indie, but they have an artist first mindset. Um, Why are artists, regardless of whether they are DIY, on an indie label, on a major label, shifting the dynamic of music industry conversations, in your opinion? You know, I think, you know, what you hear a lot from the market is that artists are entrepreneurs, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that does a service to artists because it forces them to think like a business owner, uh, that they're not just the creator. They actually own the business of being in music, but in many ways, it's also a disservice to artists and creators because being an entrepreneur and running a business is a very isolating and challenging experience by itself, right? And so asking the creator to have to worry about the business and also worry about the creation and the marketing and the promotion, right, um, is, is really more than any individual can handle. Uh, and so what we see is there's this interesting trend that's been developing for some time, which is providing all sorts of data uh, to the artist and the creator, but not really helping the artist or creator make the right decisions as a result of that data. And, and, and you know, from our vantage point, like it's a very unhealthy trend because it's almost overwhelming and it really doesn't help the creator that much but it looks good um, for the services to be offering the data. So for us, again, you know, we think we're probably one of a handful of companies out there that are trying to help artists actually make better decisions to put the data in front of them. That's really important at the end of the day. That's about the money um, that allows them to pay their bills and live their lives and, uh, um, you know, make more music and and make healthy decisions for themselves and, and their families and their team. Uh, and so that that's really the kind of trend that we're focused on. And we think we're going to see more companies that are going to help artists understand the, the, to answer that question of, okay, what do I do with all this data now that I have it? And which, what of this data should I be really looking at and paying attention to? 
you know, that's related to a couple other seismic shifts I was thinking about um, as, as I was preparing to talk with you. Um, one is the path to transparency. Transparency is irreversible, um, which is something that it's almost like when there's this much access to data, you almost can't hide where the money's supposed to go, where, where the plays are and, and all that, that kind of stuff. And it seems like that's partly uh, what you're solving. And the other piece we first heard about on this podcast from uh, Linkfire's Andrea Arcari, who, who said the words embrace fragmentation. Um, uh, and uh, I think that's sort of what you're sort of saying too, is you actually benefit more when you have multiple revenue streams that's that's kind of like saying, okay, my music's out there doing its thing, and then it's coming back to me as lots of different streams. As you can embrace that, gather all those pieces, you can start to make more sense of it. A hundred percent. I could not agree <laughs> more. Uh, you know, and Linkfire, you know, among uh, similar services, were early pioneers, right? Helping artists sort of get their stuff out everywhere and be able to track where all their fans are going and you know, um, where sort of the emerging interest and activity is, right, and engagement. And and, and likewise, you know, Hi-Fi is kind of the other end of that uh, funnel, right, which is, okay, now that all that activity has happened, now that all that fragmentation has occurred, well, how do you pull all the pieces back together again? You know, how do you, how do you know, like, what that's worth to you, whether it's working in your favor? And you're not really able to do that today in the market without a service like Hi-Fi. So yeah, we, we very much embrace kind of this trend of fragmentation. You know, try everything. Uh, if there's a new service, you know, give it a shot. Uh, see if it is better. See how it can help you. Uh, experiment, right? You know, the artists that are earning the most money are the ones taking the most risk and adopting, you know, all the sort of new services and opportunities out there. And we, you know, we try to focus um, as Hi-Fi on, on being able to connect all those pieces together to, to give artists that luxury of being able to make those type of decisions. Cool. Well, I want to get into your background, but I want to ask you one more question that's kind of related to this fragmentation conversation. I read this uh, interview you did in Music Business Worldwide last summer, and you talked about the importance of Hi-Fi being independent. I sort of think of that as the, the power of being an outsider. Why do you need that third-party status to solve some of these problems that you're tackling? And where have you seen others fail by losing their independence from related parties or channels? Yeah, you know, in general, I think that sort of outsider perspective is healthy in many industries when it comes to innovating, right? It's it's good to bring kind of unique, uh, objective sort of perspective uh, to solve problems, and uh, you know, there's sort of the group think that takes hold of many industries, uh, and it takes outsiders to disrupt that, right? That's sort of a common uh, positive trend in many markets. In music, in particular, it is a big problem. Uh, and, and it's really, it, it's, it's because music, the music industry is so tribal in nature. Mm-hmm. There are these sort of fiefdoms, uh, you know, of, of different services that have teamed up together, consolidated. Uh, there's not a lot of genuine collaboration, uh, coalitions, you know, so to speak, in music. There's not a good his- history of that. It's been very zero-sum, very sort of cutthroat uh, historically. And obviously the deals, you know, that are offered to artists and rice holders uh, historically, um, you know, reflect that as well. There are a lot of investors or music companies out there that invest in companies like Hi-Fi. But we realize that when you take money from those type of companies, there may be benefit where you can, for, for example, instantly tap into a market, a captured market, right, of artists, our rights holders. But the downside is if you want to, uh, again, in the case of Hi-Fi, connect the dots between all these various income streams and royalty streams for an artist, you have to be able to play nice with everyone in the market, right? If we can't connect into the PROs or one of the PROs, well, now we can't service like a big chunk of the, of the industry, you know, a big um, swath right. of, the, of the artist market. So for us, maintaining independence at that sort of corporate and governance level of the you know the equity level in the company was just critical, and that meant we had to walk away from and turn down you know money, and it took a little bit longer to find the right investors who supported you know that position of independence, and ultimately like we got very lucky 
uh, and we, we, we stumbled across uh, Matt Pincus, or I should say Matt Pincus, you know, from song music uh, publishing um, uh, songs, uh, you know, music publishing business that he sold to, um, to Cobalt a few years ago, uh, who's, you know, a very well-known, um, very well-liked, experienced entrepreneurial, you know, music industry executive who was in a band, you know, um, for years and a real sort of music artist guy. Uh, you know, came across us actually, and really liked what we were doing. And we, um, you know, found a way to get him involved. And he invested and joined the board. Uh, and he adds a lot of credibility to what we're doing. The same way that many of those, uh, you know, tribal sort of music companies would, but without the downside of polarizing the market or uh, you know turning certain folks off. From thinking we were a part of one of those tribes, and so oh, right. going, going forward, it's really important to us to try to mean that maintain that same level of independence, so that you know there isn't that type of issue um, if we're collaborating with you know all the different services out there in the industry. Right, makes sense. If somebody, if any of the folks whose revenue streams you're logging into and displaying for your artists were to run this dashboard, it would instantly feel like it was unbalanced, and their competitors wouldn't necessarily want to be there. <laughs> Yeah, potentially, right? And I think, you know, we we realized again, you know, early on, well, how do we make this work? And it became clear that, you know, we had to effectively automate the business management function. And so just like if a artist were to sign on to a, you know, experienced business management firm, one of the first things the business management firm would say is, "Okay, well, send me your login credentials for all your different dashboards so we can start getting access to all your data and putting a book together for you." Well, HiFi does that we just automated that process. Mm -hmm. We're effectively acting as a business management agent on behalf of the artist. And in fact, you know, we're doing that on behalf of business managers already as well. So just like the, the artist managers and the artists themselves struggle with that type of detailed royalty accounting and just the manual process of pulling in all the statements and reconciling them, the business management firms also struggle with that, right? And so they're looking for help automating that. And HiFi you know, addresses that issue for those firms uh, not just the actual individual rights holders. Before we dive deeper, we're going to take a quick break. Music Tectonics listeners are the smartest, the coolest, the bestest music tech minds out there. And I want to give you a chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, I'm going to pose a big question for you to answer in the Music Tectonics community app. At the end of the month, we'll choose the most awesome answer and send the winner one of my favorite books about business, music, technology, or just life in general. Are you ready for the first big question? Damian Manning talks a lot about how artists navigate fragmentation, the proliferation of streaming services, and how artists can keep track of where their music is being used and how much they're getting paid for it. This is a theme we've explored before on the podcast. I want to know what your favorite tool is for musicians to fight fragmentation. What tools are you seeing artists use to reach listeners and fans across platforms or to bypass social platforms altogether and reach fans directly? Look for the post that goes with this episode in the Music Tectonics app community forum. We'll tag it hashtag the big question and answer it in the comments. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join the app at the end of the episode. Stay tuned to the podcast in future episodes for more chances to tell us what you're thinking and get involved. Now back to the show. So let's get into your background a little bit. Um, you were at MTV. You had your own startup, Echo Spin, that I believe had an, a successful exit. Can you tell us about those two things as well as anything else that led you to where you are? Yeah, you know, my I'm a software engineer by trade, uh, self-taught um, software guy. Early on, you know, as a teenager, um, dropped out of college twice. Uh, you know, sort of entrepreneurial um, spirit very early on uh, in my life and. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so that was acceptable. That was like a, a you know, great option to choose from, right? Um, thankfully, but uh, uh, you know, early on uh, when I was younger, I was always a big music fan and uh, very much into electronic music, early electronic music. I was in bands. Uh, you know, I, I taught myself how to play a couple instruments and uh, make music, but it was never something I was very good at. It was something I struggled with. Uh, friends had that natural talent as something I lacked, uh, but I really loved it. And technology and programming was the thing that came naturally to me. That was my talent. And so for me, it was always, how do I find a way to marry the sort of technology skills and instincts with, uh, with uh, the music industry? And um, MTV was an interesting opportunity to do that. 
And so very early on in the web one web 1.0 era of uh, you know MTV when it was the number one music property and brand in the world still at that time in the late 90s afforded me an opportunity to learn a lot more about the music industry and still pioneer some very early technologies like uh, you know online internet radio uh, personalized internet radio uh, simulcasting of award shows and, and music events and concerts remote controlled cameras you know over the web you know things like that that just we were the first doing that type of stunt online um, and, and and getting to you know know people at the record labels and different pieces of the industry which ultimately led me to the echospin opportunity yeah so tell us about echospin so echospin was uh, could be a whole separate um, podcast hmm. in of itself, frankly, but uh, it really started out uh, as something that was inspired by the Napster era. Um, uh, a business partner and I, um, who had worked together uh, in the internet um, industry before um, uh, my MTV days, realized that Napster's fatal flaw was that it allowed you to connect with strangers to exchange music. And there had been this sort of vague uh, implication from statements from the Ninth Circuit and, and various appeals um, um, courts you know, in the US that uh, the uh, fair use doctrine perhaps covered this idea of sharing your music or copies of your music with friends or family members, right? Sort of immediate sort of circle of relationships. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we thought to ourselves, well, if there was a Napster type of service that instead of connecting strangers to share music, but instead allowed people who already knew each other to share copies of that music with one another in a sort of closed, you know, network, um, there might be something legal there or a safe harbor um, to allow that type of like sharing and engage social engagement around music early on in the MP3 days. And we built a service called Echospend that allowed people to do that. And it was quite magical, actually. We, in fact, we, we joked a tagline uh, that we, we said was magically delivered was the tagline that we used internally. But our friends were using it and beta testing it and it allowed you to effectively like drag music from your WinApp or pop in a CD, type in an email address or an AIM handle um, to one of your friends or family members. And it would just beam them a link and that link would immediately copy all the music that you were sharing with them so you mm -hmm. could listen to it together. Uh, and we built this service uh, on our own um, and we started testing it and we went to a bunch of um, law professors at NYU and Columbia um, just through our network to sort of stake out the sort of legal argument of, you know, whether this was something that was violating copyright or not. And it became pretty clear that it was grossly violating copyright. <laughs> and so it was, it was one of those educational experiences for me to really, really dive into and understand at a deep level copyright law and vicarious infringement and, you know, uh, contributory infringement and the like in the context of Napster and the decisions from the Ninth Circuit. And so we took a big step back and we said, okay, okay, maybe this isn't like legal. We can't do this. Uh, but what can we do with the technology we built? And we realized that the actual distribution piece of taking that music, bundling it up nicely, delivering it to the end user and unpacking it into their software, you know, onto their machine, into a CDR, right? At the time, this was uh, very early 2000s. Uh, and iTunes was like on the verge of launching as we were beta testing and, and, and talking to lawyers about this, that that was valuable to the record labels. And so we went to the record labels and said, uh, hey, you guys should really be distributing this music directly to the fans of your artists. You could control the price points. You can control the relationships. You can collect the fan data, right? Uh, you're better being the retailer than as being the wholesaler. And and for the most part, they laughed us out of the meeting rooms. Uh, you know, telling us no, that's not the business they're in. Uh, that's what you know the the retailers are for. They're wholesalers. That's sort of where the relationship ends, starts. You know, stop uh, starts and stops in the market, right? And we. We said you're missing you're missing the, the opportunity here. And soon after that, iTunes launched, and then some of the me uh, the the indie record labels um, said to us, "Hey, actually, no, this is interesting now. Now we're starting to get the distribution uh, opportunity, direct distribution opportunity, because of iTunes sort of helping to to shine a light on that with uh, with fans in the market." And we started to uh, distribute music directly to fans 
for independent record labels. We signed on Sanctuary Records, which was the biggest independent record label in the world at the time. Uh, we incorporated the ability to sell uh, physical goods, uh, to plug into warehouses around the globe, um, to distribute those physical goods along with digital goods and bundle transactions, to build uh, web uh, stores for artists using interesting technology that can uh, automate the sale of items from, at the time, like a Facebook profile to a, a complicated website, uh, you know, and we, uh, our biggest client sanctuary got acquired by Universal Music. Universal Music Group said, we love this. Let's roll this out to all of our artists. And that sort of, you know, turned uh, Echospin into a successful direct-to-consumer business. We signed on EMI uh, when they were their own, you know, record label and did a lot of work with Sony and uh, Warner. But ultimately, uh, we sold the business and... Um, after that, I became a VC for a bit and, and ultimately led me to the hi-fi opportunity. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it was worth it hearing the story because you clearly have been in the music industry for a long time and in kind of a tech-optimized way, um, and you built a company and sold it. Are you Who, who acquired Echospin? So we had offers from, um, or I would say interest in offers from uh, Universal and EMI and you know big companies in music. Ultimately, we sold it to a uh, holding company that uh, was planning on going public, a SPAC kind of arrangement. Hmm. And at the time, it seemed like a great opportunity for all of us. They were rolling up a bunch of interesting uh, businesses like HiFi all together. Ultimately, uh, and I would say, you know, on the vetting side, it was run by some very successful former executives in music that, you know, if I named them, you know, most of the listeners uh, today would, would certainly recognize. Ultimately, it was not as legitimate as we thought it was going into it. And uh, it was one of those mistakes you make, you look back on and say, never going to make that mistake again. Hmm. Um, ultimately, for me, it was a lesson that you don't chase the the biggest sort of payday opportunity. You, you get really got to look for the best uh, partner because these type of acquisitions are ultimately marriages. And if mm -hmm. you wanted to work in the long term, you need to be able to work with people and have your goals aligned. And I found myself soon after that acquisition, spending most of my time on an airplane flying you know, around the world to Singapore and elsewhere, pitching bankers instead of building the business and servicing our clients, uh, which just wasn't a good fit for my skill set and my interest. I ended up leaving soon after the acquisition. Um, but again, it's one of those life lessons you learn and those mistakes you carry with you to help you make better decisions in the future. Hey, and you brought it to our Music Tectonics listening audience as well. So hopefully, you know, I love this part where where in addition to kind of shining a spotlight on what you're doing, you're sharing stuff with our audience. And I didn't even mention at the beginning, you're a Music Tectonics regular listener as well. So there's this cool kind of uh, close full circle kind of uh, thing happening here. And, and as we round out the episode, I'd love to ask you what I ask a lot of our guests, which is to maybe even name drop some other cool Music Tech trends or categories or companies specific companies in music tech that you're excited about, maybe since it's the beginning of a year, excited for 2021. What comes to mind for you, Damien? Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I think there's a number of companies that are emerging and, um, again, trying to help artists make better decisions with the data they have or know what data to pay attention to. You know, there's a company called CreateSafe, um, which I believe is also in Brooklyn, uh, that is doing great work building tools for artists to help them understand label deals right? And whether those deals uh, make sense for them. Uh, and they're building sort of the operating system of the future for artists and, and artist management teams to mm -hmm. manage those deals and manage those contracts, right? That's a, a much needed, um, you know, issue that's, again, been really gone unaddressed for the most part um, with all the innovation and in many ways, very complementary to what HiFi is doing, right? Those two pieces plug together uh, quite nicely. So, uh, you know, and just in general, I'd say, you know, a little shout out to Sherry Hugh, um, who does great job sort of tracking those type of startups that are innovating in the music industry and building software to help artists answer some of these existential and, you know, tactical questions about running their business and thinking like an entrepreneur, but what does that mean? And you know, how do they not get overwhelmed? Uh, and so I, I, for the most part, I mean, I really, you know, look to her to sort of shine a spotlight on a lot of those companies um, that are building some of those innovations. 
Um, but in general, I think so. Seeing the trend of companies like Create Safe and folks coming out of the management or the artist side of the business, and knowing personally how challenging it is, um, you know, some of the problems that artists are facing, and harnessing the power of technology and and raising kind of investment dollars they need to build those solutions is key. Whereas you know, versus in the past, how we saw so many. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs coming from technology or finance who see music as this sexy, attractive market who are trying to solve problems without really understanding, um, you know, what is going on on daily business or the actual struggle of the artist. And I'd say in many ways, like I fall into the camp of the latter, you know, historically coming at it from like a technology standpoint, but I've made um, like taken deliberate you know, um, path of surrounding myself with partners and people from music, from management, artists who actually feel the pain and make sure that we stick true to stay true to our, our, our sort of like North Star, which is really making sure that everything we do is addressing the actual needs of the artist, not the needs of a business. Uh, and that's really the kind of trend that I look to um, when I'm looking at companies, you know, out there to partner with and, and promote. Awesome. Damien, this has been great. Um, by the way, for our listeners, that sh- Sherry Hu has been at, on the podcast many times, so you can go back to previous episodes. She also spoke at the Music Tectonics Conference, and if you go to the app, app.musictectonics.com, you can actually um, watch her closing fireside chat with me where she did just what Damien is talking about here, sharing kind of like where some things are going. I know because I talked to some of our loyal attendees about how valuable that conversation was. Uh, one talked about being introduced to the whole idea of non-fungible tokens, how that's being used in music and being introduced to the idea of artist pricing, um, you know, de- artists determining their own pricing and the power of that and that emerging more. So I love the shout outs there. Awesome. Yeah. Great Thanks, chat. Damien. Um, where's the best place for listeners to connect with you? Are you a LinkedIn guy, Twitter? Is it through your website, contact form? <laughs> yeah. Connect, connect with me on LinkedIn. Go to our website at hi.fi, no.com, just hi.fi. A nice Finnish uh, top level domain there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Damien uh, Manning at, uh, at LinkedIn. Um, you can check out our uh, HiFi is our Instagram handle follow us on social media as well but if you fill out a contact form on um, on the hi-fi website or apply for membership uh, somebody on the team will get back to you right away you can also ask to speak with me i'm happy to reach out and likewise if you want to contact me on email i'm always accessible it's damien at hi.fi d-a-m-i-a-n at h-i.fi hit me up thanks damien thanks for being on the show and thanks for being a a loyal listener of, of the podcast Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dimitri. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I put out new episodes every week. Follow us, Music Tectonics, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn, if you can spell it. Better yet, become a part of the Music Tectonics community. We created a social network, kind of like a Facebook, just for music tech aficionados. If you're listening to this show, that's you. It's free to join. You can use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com or find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with me and other folks from all corners of music and tech. Get exclusive access to Music Tectonics content and events and meet each other. Join the app to answer the big question and one listener every month will win one of my favorite books. Get updates about upcoming events and our big music tech conference in October when you sign up for our email newsletter. Go to musictectonics.com to get it in your inbox every two weeks. And if you want to learn more about the music tech PR team at Rock, Paper, Scissors, you can find out at rockpaperscissors.biz. Peace. You're listening to Music Tectonics.